Hi, everyone. It's Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and neuroplasticity therapist, and I host the Rocksteady community, <clears throat> which is a really beautiful, kind, welcoming community. And we explore our brain, our body, and how to get the best out of whatever we're born with, basically. And today I want to talk a little bit about hyperacusis, tonic tense or tympani syndrome, and misophonia. And I just want to start out by saying, for some of you listening, I know that there can be aggravating sounds made as we're talking, whether that be S sounds or the way I might pause and say um or R. And I want to I want to really acknowledge that pain for you and that discomfort. And it's very difficult as a speaker to adjust how we make sounds and how we express ourselves. But I really want to acknowledge that that's part of this condition. It's um, misophonia is a very intense emotional reaction to certain sounds, which, as I've already said, could be swallowing sounds, a puckering of the lips, um, or certain consonants. And it's deeply uncomfortable and it can feel as though you have no control over that reaction. And I want to talk about that a little bit on today's um, talk. And then hyperacusis. Well, I think to some extent we can't really separate the emotional and physical responses because everything to it to an extent in the human being is interconnected, the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual experience. But hyperacusis is when certain sounds actually create a pain response within the ear and that can be from muscles tightening and from changes to the middle ear mechanisms and that's really where tonic tense or tympani syndrome comes in as well it's this theory of the fight flight freeze reaction around the ear which is protective and it's designed to tighten up the middle ear system and stop further vibrations rattling the ears and entering into the um, auditory system. So it's about preventing excess noise coming through. But with tonic tense or tympani syndrome and hyperacusis, that's an overactive system. It's on alert too often. So even softer or medium sounds are creating this over alert protective mechanism in the ear, which can lead to pain in and around the ears, jaw, head and neck. Um, so misophonia may not have that physical pain, but there will be an emotional um, extreme rejection towards certain sounds. And today I wanted to talk about it a little bit in the context of neurodiversity and neurodivergence. Um, so again, just coming back to that basic concept of the different neurotypes and we have what is this, this theoretical framework of talking about a neurotypical neurotype where people have very efficient, fast, adaptive brains. They experience neural clipping, which I think mostly happens between the age of zero and seven, but continues to occur right up into early adulthood. And the neural clipping creates these islands of information for easy access, easy processing. People can experience the world and their senses and make sense of things very quickly as they're jumping around these islands of information. So the neurotypical um, neurotype is not better or worse, but there are some advantages and the world is essentially built by neurotypical people for neurotypical people. So there 
we could say that there's a match culturally and in society about how neurotypical people absorb information, take in information, relate to the world, and how the world is mirrored back to them. There's a beautiful match. For neurodivergent people, such as myself, we're born with a another beautiful different neurotype. We don't experience as much neural clipping throughout our lifetime. So we have this vast white matter of interconnectedness. There are many, 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 many different interconnections throughout our brain system. Um, so we don't get that neural clipping of, of categories of information being siloed off into islands. So as we're going through daily life, we're actually processing a lot of data in high detail and we have many different options of how we can connect that data. And there are some huge advantages to that when it comes to intelligence, lateral thinking, viewing the world differently, you know, constructing very independent thought, novel ideas, creativity, innovation. But there's also this um, very real and painful issue of sensory overload and sensory sensitivity because how our brain and body are absorbing different sounds and touch and smells and taste and movement sensations is high detailed, it's complex, and we are literally having to build neural maps and neural concepts from scratch. We're not taking shortcuts. So we can be um, much more vulnerable toward feeling anxious, depressed, fatigued, burnt out, and having these somatic experiences of increased tinnitus, dizziness, vertigo, visual snow, um, and increased incidence of this hyperacusis, tonic tensor tympani syndrome, and misophonia. So it's just interesting that depending on the type of brain you're born with can make you more susceptible to some of these sensitivities to sounds. <clears throat> and I just want to talk a little bit about this potentially from the social disability model. So when we're born with a neurodivergent brain type, it can mean, and it doesn't always mean, and it's a huge spectrum of experience. So we're all so different and I want to really do my best to honor that difference. Um, but it, when we're living in a neurotypical world where we might be expected to, you know, go to daycares or go to kinder or go to school or do things that are considered really normal, but for us and our very sensitive um, neurotype, all of that sound and lighting and social um, confusion, social structures, you know, crowds of people, these can all be like really assaults to our senses and quite traumatic. But if we're living in a neurotypical household and then going to school with neurotypical teachers and peers, our traumatic experience, it could be really squashed down, dismissed, diminished, and we're told, you know, don't be so sensitive, don't make such a big deal. And we're not listened to, we're not appreciated, and people may not understand how it's actually physically and emotionally very painful for us in daily life. And if you think about that accumulated experience of all of those microaggressions and micro traumas and millions of moments of being dismissed, diminished, and not listened to, the outer world is really teaching us how to treat ourselves and how to treat our body. So then we redirect that same treatment inwards towards ourselves where we don't treat ourselves with kindness. When our body is giving us um, painful signals or emotional distress signals and we're feeling that sensation building up in our body, instead of having a really healthy, kind, caring, 
um, attitude and connection toward ourselves and an ability to advocate for ourselves and to speak up for ourselves. We've actually been trained since birth to silence ourselves, to not speak up, to not advocate, and to not even listen to our own body. So all of those distress and discomfort signals are actually stuck in our body, unexpressed, and the body has to find a way to move that discomfort and that neural tension. And so the body will do that by tightening up muscles, by holding very uncomfortable stress and trauma patterns in the body wherever it can find a place to store it. You may experience various meltdowns, which can look like huge tantrums, but actually it's the body's very clever way of releasing all of that internal stress and tension and using that huge meltdown to expel and discharge some of it. Um, And you may also feel that your brain goes into shutdown, which is when the brain just says, I've had enough. I do not want any more external input coming in. I don't want to have to process another sound. I don't want to have to process another conversation. I don't want to have to be exposed to anyone or anything. I really want to be in a quiet, dark room on my own in solitude. And the, the brain is very cleverly taking us to a place to cocoon and retreat and restore and repair and recuperate. And so I guide people through the Rocksteady process and program of navigating for themselves how they discharge and dispel any built-up internal tensions that have not yet been expressed. And I also guide people to find ways to have a really healthy sense of micro shutdown throughout their daily life to make sure their brain is both getting enough time to release any energy that doesn't need to be in the body. And that can be actual physical tension. It can also be emotional tension and it can be um, mental disarray or disorganized mental thoughts or lots of fears and worries. We need to find a way to be present, loving, kind and moving that through our experience so it's not accumulating. And then, of course, that quietude, that cocooning, that retreat, that having a healthy sense of shutdown at regular periods so the brain is able to recuperate, integrate, metabolize, and not feel so overwhelmed and overloaded with lots of external inputs. So I wanted to talk about how if we were a neurodivergent person or just a highly sensitive person and we grow up in a family where we're listened to, we're nurtured, our parents, family, friends and teachers take all of our sensitivities really seriously, they're attuned to us, they modify things for us, they make sure there might be transcripts for us to read lessons instead of always having to be listening, that we can modify and moderate our sensory inputs to really nurture what is a healthy amount of input for our brain and body so that each and every day we're exposed to the perfect amount of sensory stimulation that allows us to feel awake, alive and vibrant, but not assaulted and not overloaded or flooded. So a neurodivergent person who grows up in that beautiful person environment fit where they're listened to and nurtured and cared for They will be learning all of those skills of how to listen to themselves, nurture themselves, moderate their sensory input, and be understanding towards their differences and towards their body and brain to understand how to move that excess internal tension out of their system and and through their creative experience, and also how to advocate for themselves when they need time out, cocooning, retreat, quietness, and solitude. What I notice in the misophonia, hyperacusis, and tonic tensor tympani syndrome 
world is that it tends to be this conflict where people have a very severed relationships between their own body. They haven't been taught how to understand their brain and body and how to get that best fit for navigating what they're sensing and feeling and how to actually really take their sensory world seriously, attune to themselves and respond lovingly to the call of the body because the body wants homeostasis. The body wants to be in balance and the body and brain want optimal neural firing. And I think what can happen for neurodivergent people is that as, as we're walking around in daily life, you know, I was just at my favorite cafe the other day So it's familiar to me. It's local. There's nothing about it that is a change or a transition or too novel. It's very familiar to me. And that's comforting for neurodivergent people and a neurodivergent brain. Um, Because every time I go to a new cafe, I have to build a new construct. I have to build new neural maps to collect all that detail and get to know that sensory environment. So this should not really have been a challenging situation for me. But as I was walking towards my local cafe to order my hot drink, there was just really loud music. There was lots of people everywhere. There was dogs. There was a TV on. There was just so much sensory stimulation. I found myself sort of in this vortex, in this tornado of sensory input. And I I was sort of pausing to acknowledge and notice for my body in that moment all right, let's body scan, let's surrender, let's be really gentle within ourselves because there is a lot going on. All I'm doing is ordering a coffee, but my body and my brain are really entering peak performance. We're having to operate very highly right now because there's a lot of input. And as I acknowledge that and soften into that and be kind to myself, I can proceed to order the coffee. I can then walk away and find a quiet place and I can attune and befriend and recuperate um, because I have that relationship. I think as we each learn how to understand our brain and body and be very loving, kind, curious and friendly toward ourselves, we then can also pay it forwards to other people. And what I notice in the hyperacusis, tonic, tensor, tympanine and misophonia world is there can be a lot of them versus us and a lot of anger and hatred toward these sounds that are so provocative and so evoking and so difficult, you know. um, And again, I apologize because I'm probably um, speaking in ways that is really difficult for some of you to hear. And I really hope there are ways as a world, as a global community, for us all to understand we're all doing our best. We have to be understanding of each other. Neurotypical people who do not experience sensory sensitivity really have no idea and that's not their fault. They're not trying to cause more pain. They're not trying to be um, dismissive or to diminish us and our sensitivities. And as neurodivergent people or highly sensitive people, we have to learn how to be loving towards ourselves and then also advocating and educating other people how this is really a big deal. And I totally understand. You know, I was the last time I went to the cinema, I left and complained to the manager that it was too loud. And it was too loud. <laughs> I was measuring it on my iPhone at the time and it was dangerously loud. And it was rattling my whole body and it was just super uncomfortable. And I couldn't believe that people would pay money to sit through such an assault to the senses. 
And when I spoke to the manager of that cinema, I felt completely dismissed as though I was a crazy lady, even though I was a qualified audiologist and I knew the science behind what was safe sound levels, they were extremely dismissive of me. So I really deeply understand that this is a battle. It can feel like them versus us. But actually, I think we have to do that work of going inwards, really looking at our experience as a high sensitive person with a different way of processing the world. And that difference does not make us abnormal. It's beautiful to have difference, but we have to know how to nurture our brain and body, how to seek the solitude, quiet and rest and recuperation that our neural fibers need to integrate experiences. And that example of me going into that peak performance of ordering the coffee, high stimulation, and then removing myself and sitting in a quiet place where I could then integrate and metabolize the experience. These are all the personal um, processes we're learning. And my Rocksteady community offers that educational space where you can learn about what are my options here And there's a a huge peer group, a global peer group who completely understand what you're going through and support you. And I really feel like it's a cultural change and there's only so far that one-on-one individual therapy can get us. We can learn the skills and tools, but at the end of the day, we can just keep feeling like there's something deeply wrong and abnormal with us if the therapist is also neurotypical and doesn't really understand what's going on. So I think part of the healing process is meeting other neurodivergent people or meeting other high sensitive people who are making it work. And the last point I want to make is it can feel as though I don't control my reaction. And there's some truth to that. But as we learn the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual layers and patterns that are moving through our body, we begin to get more and more influence and more and more control. So if we're highly neglecting toward our our sensory mapping and our sensory experience, we will have these uncontrolled meltdowns and shutdowns that will happen to us and we don't have control over them. But if we can learn to pace our lives, understand when the body needs to release, understand when the body needs that really gentle, nourishing quietness and solitude, we can actually begin to allow the brain to have all of these footholds and pit stops and rests so we no longer have these uncontrollable reactions. So I really want to plant this idea of hope that these conditions are workable The really strong, intense reactions are all reversible, but it is a journey of going back into our childhood and learning about how we got to the situation and circumstance that we're in. It's nobody's fault, but it is really a reweaving and a remembering of who we are and how beautiful we are, even though we're different. So if you're interested to meet our community and learn more, visit seekingbalance.com.au. If you're experiencing financial distress or you're in a a country that doesn't have a strong economy, apply for scholarships. There is no need for financial barrier to get between you and joining this community. So we're here for you. It's seekingbalance.com.au. I think this is a really important conversation and one that we need to keep having together as a community. So it's a bye for now.